Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Mork's Chat Sports. I've got a very special guest with me today. He was a young rugby prodigy growing up in Zimbabwe. He then attended Michael House in Durban, South Africa, where his rugby stock grew. He then moved on to the Western Province Academy, played some club rugby in England, before making his debut for the Zimbabwe 7 side, the Cheetahs, and making his full international debut for the Sables, the Zimbabwe 15s rugby side. He then was contracted at the Jersey Reds in the Championship in England, and I have the pleasure of talking to him today. I'd like to welcome with open arms and give a very warm welcome to a friend of mine, Hilton Modariki. Hilton, thank you very much for joining me. How are you doing? Welcome. Rich, thank you so much for having me on this. Uh, really excited about our, our chat. So before we get into get into the rugger, you know, what are you up to in your spare time? How's everything going? Yeah, with COVID having hit, um, it's kind of stalled a lot of things for pretty much everyone. I was lucky enough to um, catch a flight out of the UK to head back to Zim just before it hit. So, um, no, it's been perfect. It's been great to be home after a very long time. The longest I've ever spent at home. So it's been great to uh, you know, have some quality time with my mom and just to catch mm-hmm. up. And, you know, to just enjoy the, you know, the African sun. Having been in Jersey where it's so cold, it's great to, to have a bit of sun now. Awesome. I believe that you've got a gig with Country Club. You're an ambassador. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And is that sort of keeping you fit? Is that keeping you in, in good nick? Yeah. yeah, so it's great. The deal with Country Club came about. I wasn't really expecting it. Whenever I've been home, I've always trained there. But they've uh, redone the place and it's a, it's a brand new setup. Not just the gym side, but there's a lovely restaurant that's there. Beautiful golf course. Uh, tennis courts, you know, so it's like a whole, it's a whole package. So, you know, it's been nice to, to experience their, their facilities as well as network with, the, with a lot of people that I've met throughout this, uh, throughout this time. That's awesome, dude. It's, it's good that Sim's got elite facilities like that. And like you say, getting in the gym now that some of us have a bit more free time thanks to COVID, but happy to hear about that. I just wanted to sort of discuss your career and, and I guess your life, which is strongly revolved around um, rugby. Can you tell us a little bit about your first memories playing rugby? What it was like playing at Heritage, for example? I came across a, a funny stat the other day of, of our Heritage Colts A season. I don't know if, if you can tell us what you sort of remember from those days. Like you said, that's where it all started for me. That's where I fell in love with sport. It was at Heritage that I fell in love with sport. I'd never kind of known about rugby before I got to Heritage. You know, from the minute I picked up a ball, I fell in love with the sport. And, you know, it's funny you say that when you sent me those, um, actually, I actually did not remember that we almost went the whole season unbeaten. And I remember that loss to Barrick. I remember crying after that game. I think it took me a very long time to get over. But that was an amazing, amazing season for us. I think we, we cleaned up. We dubs after yeah. dubs. It was awesome. Yeah, so we played 24 games. That's unheard of now anyway in, in sort of Colts rugby and Zim, I think. That's a lot of game time. I think that was our first ever game. And then we lost to Barrick. No, I remember, I remember that pretty clearly. That oh. was a very dark day in my early rugby career. <laughs> yeah. From that, 
you moved from Heritage to St. John's Prep and on to Michael House in South Africa, where you did your high schooling. You then went on to play first 15 rugby for Michael House and represented KZN, the Sharks, in Craven Week. Can you sort of just tell us a little bit about the difference in maybe schoolboy rugby, the mentality of, of rugby in Zim versus in South Africa and what you experienced? Yeah, I mean, I went to Michael House not really knowing much about the school. I would say there's a massive difference with regards to schoolboy rugby um, between Zim and South Africa. I feel like in Zim, there are a couple of schools that are always up there. Whereas in South Africa, you know, you know, every single week is going to be a tough fixture. But in terms of the support, I've seen crowds here in schoolboy games. I was very fortunate enough, as you said, to play first team. And I played in a couple of the Hilton Michaels derbies where, you know, we attracted 20, 25,000 people, Jeez. which was, you know, absolutely crazy for a schoolboy game. So it was brilliant. And it was literally a huge build-up from, from the Monday heading into, into Saturday. It was a massive build-up. You could literally feel the energy, a different energy. Having played at that, I guess, elite level in South Africa, not many Zimbabweans have, have had that opportunity. And you obviously fulfilled all your potential and, and playing Craven Week for the Sharks is unbelievable. And that was just, I guess, the footnote for oh, you. thanks. You went on to bigger and better things. Yeah, up. look, I think, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I think for me, uh, I, I needed to catch on that. I needed to work a lot harder than everyone else. Number one, being a foreigner, you always left behind. So, you know, you always need to work that much harder to to crack into teams, to, to make the teams because of the the systems that they have in, in schoolboys uh, sport in South Africa. So I always needed to make sure that, you know, I was trying to work as hard as I possibly can, harder than my opposition. I mean, I remember when I was from under 14 to under 16, I was playing fly half. Uh, that's the position that I played throughout, even at Heritage. And then, you know, I realized that there are five quality fly halves in the, in the province. So I literally had to make, I decided to make the switch through a coach that we, we had at, at school and he wow. helped me out, helped me improve my pass and it worked out for me and that's the position that I guess is for me because I'm, I'm still playing scrum off to this day. I like that. I like that. I didn't actually know that. Was there a decision that you made to try be pro? Was there a defining moment? Was there a try you scored? Or was it just sort of a progression and a, and a journey? You know, it's, it's actually quite funny. You know, growing up, in high school, I always wanted to play cricket. From the age of under 14, I decided I'm, I want to be a professional cricketer. That's what I literally put my heart and soul into. But as I got older, I realized that, you know, I was decent. I still wasn't convinced that that was the path that I wanted to take. I always knew I wanted to be a, a sportsman, but I was leaning more towards cricket than rugby. Then in my, uh, in my final year, after making Craven Week, after a few unions approaching me and wanting me, you know, that's when I realized that yo, I, actually, I actually could make something out of this. And I feel like I just enjoyed my, my rugby a lot more in my final year. And it's just, it's just something that I wanted to do after school. So I think that was the moment where I really uh, decided that uh, rugby was the avenue I wanted to take. And you made the move after school to Cape Town for a couple of years, where you played uh, for the under-19 yeah. and under-21s at the Western Province Academy. Can you tell us about you know, the step up from playing in front of, let's say, 20,000 at schoolboy level to the daily grind of being in a professional academy? 
yeah, being in a professional academy um, was awesome. I think the first three months really brought you down to size. We didn't touch a ball. It was literally just fitness and fitness and fitness, but know. fitness without a ball. A few boys that just couldn't, that couldn't last, and they pulled out. I think we lost like six or seven boys out of our group yeah. uh, just because they, they literally could not deal with it. But I feel like that prepared me for what was to come uh, later on. So my first year there was, was absolutely awesome. I really, really enjoyed it. You then moved to the UK. Again, putting yourself out there, putting yourself into a different environment. You were involved in the Saracen setup and uh, you played a bit of club rugby for Amersham and Chilton in the UK. What again was the big transition from an academy setup to rubbing shoulders with the likes of Saracens? What was the, the difference in, in environment once again? It was a good opportunity for me to head over there and just experience professional game in the UK for a couple of months. Um, as you said, I was involved with Saracens. Um, it was great. Um, I had Neil DeCock, who was a former uh, Springbok scrum off as my mentor. Learned so much from him. It's funny that, you know, a couple of years down the line, he was actually helping us out when I was in Cape Town last year. So it was an awesome time for me to, to learn. But I feel like when I moved to the UK the very first time, I wasn't ready for it at all. I think I was still too young and I hadn't matured enough as a player. But it was a great learning curve for me. And as you said, I also got involved in a bit of club rugby as I wasn't involved in Saracens match day squads or anything like that. Decided to play a bit of club rugby for Amersham, which was awesome. I was playing against men. Uh, so that helped my development speed up quite a bit. So yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that time. But uh, yeah, I definitely wasn't ready for that step up just yet. What can you also tell us as you progress? You played for Jersey Reds in the championship in the UK. And for those of you who aren't sure about the championship, that's one level down from the premiership. So I, I'm, I'm just wondering, what kind of things do we not see from the outside? You know, we'll watch you on a match day, but what is the day-to-day -day challenge and, and what is the grind like behind the scenes? It's, it's really tough. Um, it's really, really tough. I remember the first, first couple of months, over there, just adjusting to full-time prof uh, professional environment was, uh, was really, really tough. You know, you're working, you're working every day. I mean, a lot of people see, as you said, they see the, you know, the glitz and glam, the Saturday match day, and, and they think, you know, being a professional sportsman is, is absolutely amazing. You're not really doing much. I mean, it's awesome for us, but at the end of the day, it's work and um, the challenges that come with it. So, yeah, it's, it, it was really, really tough, you know, just to get used to day-to-day -day routine of double training days uh, with the gym session. You might have to hang around after training or after everyone is gone to make sure you get your extras in because, you know, coaches are huge into extras, but extras are also good in the sense that you're only bettering yourself and giving yourself a better chance to make the team. Like, for example, I was going up against Scrum Hobbs, one guy who had played for... England under-20s at a World Cup. Another guy who had played a bit of uh, rugby for Southland in the ITM Cup, and he had played a bit for the Highlanders. I was going up against all those boys, and obviously I wanted to put my best foot forward, um, and I needed to put the work in. Um, so, so, yeah, it was really tough. Definitely helped me to improve as a person and as a player. Wonderful. Um, your whole career is a testament to that. So I was delighted when you, when you got a chance to play for, for Jersey in the championship. We've sort of touched on 
your career as a schoolboy, your rise through the academies, club rugby in England. I want to talk about your international career. In 2011, you were part of the Junior Sables, the under-20s Zimbabwe rugby team, who took part in the Junior World Trophy in Georgia. Roll on a couple of years to 2013. You played for the Cheetahs. You made your debut for the Cheetahs and you made your Sables 15s debut within a month or a couple of months of each other. Tell us a little bit about your debut and that period in your life. Getting a call up to the uh, firstly to the Cheetahs was awesome. I'd actually started playing, well, I'd actually been first called up to the Cheetahs for a World Cup camp. There was a World Cup in Russia at the time in 2013. I think it was early 2013. Went into camp, my was like my first or second time kind of being involved in sevens. Had a great camp. Fortunately, um, didn't make the squad. I think that gave me a taste of what it was like. And that gave me the drive to want to achieve that and be part of the team. And I was very fortunate enough to be selected to play in the Port Elizabeth Sevens, which is an annual tournament in South Africa that's, uh, that runs in December. Absolute baptism of fire, playing against Argentina, Australia, and England in our pool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a very, very tough weekend. I learned a lot from that. It made me realize where the kind of level that I need to be at to, to compete at that level. But it was an absolutely uh, dream for me to, um, to play against guys that I obviously looked up to on the seven scene, guys like Dan Norton, Tom Mitchell from England, who's the captain. So yeah, it was huge for me to, to be part of that. And then a couple of months later, so Liam, uh, Liam Middleton was our sevens coach at the time. And he started helping out with the Sables later on in the year. And they invited me for a, for a camp. Uh, Brendan Dawson was the head coach at the time. Went through a very, a very tough camp, a good camp. I performed well in training. And I was selected to tour in Namibia. I didn't think I was going to be a starter at all. There are a couple of scrum offs that were ahead of me. So I literally just thought I was going on this tour just for experience. And fortunately, I ended up making my debut. So debut against Namibia in 15th, thrown into the deep end. Yeah, pretty uh, much. And then I want to just chat about that sustained success that you guys had in the Cheetahs squad. So on the sevens circuit, like you say, you guys would take part yep. in the, the Port Elizabeth sevens. It rotates between sort of George, PE and Cape Town, doesn't it? You guys played in the SA leg of the, the sevens circuit. And then annually, you guys would sort yep. of have a crack at... Uh, the qualifier, you know, to gain seven status as a core side. There would be a qualifier with teams such as Germany, Spain, Russia, and sort of annually, you guys would, would go to Hong Kong. can't imagine what it's like to play in Hong Kong. But tell us a little bit about that sort of <laughs> in your career where you had success on the field with a consistent group of guys. Oh, I think it started from the top. We, we had an amazing coach in Danny Hondo, who's a Zimbabwe legend in 7s and 15s. And he brought in you know, a culture that, that was missing in 7s rugby. Um, and I think him being a player and being in part of that successful Zimbabwe side that played many years ago, he brought that culture that they had then into a group that we had now. And it, it paid huge dividends for us because we, you know, we performed so well on the field. 
everyone knew what we were trying to achieve. Everyone was on the same page. And uh, yeah, it just started at the top and it literally just filtered down all the way to, um, to the youngsters in the team. I remember watching you, Chittaquindo, Boyd Rouse. It was going really well for you guys. In 2015, you guys made the final. And for listeners yeah, yeah. Who, who aren't too sure, there's a World Sevens qualifier in Hong Kong every year. And the winner of that tournament gets to go to every event in the following season, essentially a core side. And Zim came up against Russia. Um, I'm sure you'd like to tell us a little bit about your memory. And uh, what oh, were your accounts yeah. of that? Man, I, I remember uh, just going into that tournament, we, we felt really good. We had a good camp prior to going to Hong Kong in, uh, in Cape Town. We had a tournament where we trained with the Blitzbox for, for a week, and that really stood us in good stead going into Hong Kong. And we started off really, really well. Like you said, made the final. And I remember we scored a try on the final hooter. Final hooter had gone. Apparently, uh, there was a bit of time left, according to the ref. And uh, we kicked off. And we were a man down at the time. Uh, one of our boys got a yellow card. and He was a sweeper. So we kicked off. They passed it down the line. And I think one of their guys got a break um, and went straight through. Because we were defending six up, we didn't have anyone at the back to cover. I think he went 80 meters or so. And he, he scored a try to to take them to core status. That was a, yeah, it was a really tough memory to let go off. But, you know, overall, it was a good tournament for us. Uh, and I was really proud of how we played and, and how I played. But, yeah, just that final, just getting over that final hurdle um, that we didn't uh, was really tough. So, Hilton, you obviously put in some consistent performances. And there's that clip on YouTube of one of your passes. I just have that ingrained in my memory. It was out of this world and you guys played some great rugby. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, like I, I, I joke with a couple of mates and say, geez, I still haven't gotten over that. But uh, what was it like training, sacrificing <laughs> and building up to that one game? Was there a lot of pressure? Was there confidence? And when Russia scored after the Hooter, what were the feelings in the camp? I, I can't imagine. For for us, um, like like I said, the the preparation going into that tournament was amazing. I think it was probably the first time that I've gone into a tournament without um, any pressure. I felt that I could go out there and just and just play. And the coach gave me confidence in that. He said, "Listen, go out and try your stuff and do your stuff, and and I'll back you." And that's the the confidence that I needed from the coach uh, for me to go out there and express myself. So going into that tournament, yeah, we felt really good, felt really confident. Yeah, and then when that final play, still literally got it in my head. Yeah, it was, it was such a tough, tough moment for us. And, you know, I just remember the boys just dropping down and, and crying because we had worked so hard for that. You know, we could literally sniff it out. It was just unfortunate that, you know, it wasn't meant to be. Yeah, now chatting to you, I think I can make my peace with it. A trend of your career getting up, dusting yourself off, and going on to bigger and better things. Having touched on, you know, the feelings of the defeat, the hurt, I just wanted to sort of discuss with you now the degree that you, you were studying for, because I believe the two are, are related. So yeah. in 2015, you enrolled in the University of Johannesburg, and you studied a sport and performance psychology degree. 
in that same time, you played for three seasons for UJ in the Varsity Cup. I, I just want you to sort of chat about maybe how the learnings from your degree helped you deal with the on-field stuff, you know, the pre-match prep, maybe anxieties, dealing with setbacks like we've just touched on. Yeah. I think um, what was awesome uh, during that period is that uh, quite a few of us that played for UJ at the time were studying sports psychology as well. So we could literally bounce ideas off each other um, in terms of things that we might have learned in class or things that we were learning. So, yeah, it was like you said, I mean, I tried to use as much of that as much as I learned um, in the classroom on the field in terms of my pre-game, in terms of my training, in terms of what my feelings were and how I was thinking, especially like dealing with, with setbacks and defeats. A week is a very long time in rugby. That's what I needed to realize really early. Um, so it was important that I celebrated what I did or because there was work to be done going forward. And that's what I've literally, you know, going forward even in my career now, even outside of rugby, you know, celebrate the good things, but just make sure that, you know, you keep in check and you keep working hard because so many things can happen. So, yeah, that, that's, what I've, that's what I really took out of, um, out of that, that time uh, with, my, with my studies. And, yeah, it's something that I use to, uh, to this day. Do you think sometimes you're a little bit hard on yourself, Hilt, in terms of training? Do you easily escape from... from yeah, 100%. Yeah, Rich, for me, um, I feel that I do put a lot of pressure on myself. I always strive to be the best that I can be in, in everything that I do, uh, whether it's, you know, to be the fittest guy in the team or uh, trying to be, you know, the strongest in the gym or, um, you know, being the best passer. I always try and make sure that I'm best at everything that I do. And I do put a lot of pressure on myself. But in saying that, I find, like you said, I find it as an escape. So, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to go out if I, if I have so many things going on or there's a lot of pressure or whatever it is, you know, I'm happy to go out and release that stress or release that pressure by going to do a bit of fitness. I like to use that almost as an escape. But yeah, I would say I'm, I'm quite, quite hard on myself. That's the mark of a champion, though, being disciplined, Hilton. You obviously were a big part again of the Sables qualification for the 2015 Rugby World Cup. And that took place in Madagascar. There were four teams, obviously the Sables, Kenya, Madagascar, and yeah. Namibia. And you guys, you started well. You guys beat Madagascar. Yeah. Kenya had beaten Namibia. You then beat Kenya. You scored a try in that game, yeah. one, of, one of three. And then you had to sort of wait for Namibia to play Madagascar to find out your fate to see if you guys would automatically qualify for the World Cup in England. What can you sort of tell us about the tournament itself, the pressures? Was there like an awareness of, you know, how many tries you had to score? Was there that kind of pressure on the tournament? To be honest, I don't remember that pressure at all. Up until I think it must have been about the 65th or 70th minute, that's realized we need to score four tries you know, to automatically qualify. And we were beating Kenya quite convincingly at the time, I think. Our mall was absolutely dominating them. I don't know what happened. We, we, uh, we got a penalty. A decision was made to go for posts instead of going for the corner. And yeah, we ended up winning that game against Kenya, but we didn't get the four tries that we needed to to automatically qualify. 
we were pretty much praying that Madagascar would do us a favor and they got absolutely whitewashed that day. So yeah, it was tough to, uh, you know, to sit back and think of, you know, what could have happened if different decisions were made. But um, yeah, it's something that we, uh, that we'll live with and we were going to get other opportunities later on. It was a very tough, tough couple of years for, uh, for Zimbabwe rugby during that period. Yeah, Hilton. And again, you know, taking that on, on your young shoulders must have been so difficult. There's obviously baggage with defeat. There's also lessons that you learn with defeat too. So for those guys yeah. that have sort of stuck around and, and been part of the more recent success of the Sables and the Cheetahs, a credit to them and a credit to you. And this is the part I'm really happy to discuss because in 2019, the Sables, the Zimbabwe 15 side, played in the Victoria Cup. If I'm not mistaken, Uganda, Kenya had really put a bit of pressure on, on Zimbabwe. They were getting results against them and you guys came out on top. You beat Kenya, you beat Uganda, and you were the captain. You guys had a very consistent and successful campaign. Was there a huge relief? Was there immense joy? Tell us about that feeling of lifting the trophy as captain of your country, Hilton. That is as good as it gets. No, you're 100% you're right. But I think the foundation was laid a couple of months before the Victoria Cup itself. We were involved in the Supersport Challenge over in, in South Africa. We were based in Cape Town. Jason Moritz, who is our, our team manager, uh, Brendan Dawson, who came back, they, um, they changed it everything about the Sables, the way we did things, the professionalism that was, um, that had to be brought in, the culture that had to be brought in, um, because Zimbabwe rugby had lost its identity in previous years. So they brought that back and feel like all of the guys bought into what they were trying to achieve, what we were planning to do, because, and they decided, listen, we need a full four-year cycle where, you know, we get a squad together and we build that squad and these guys get to know each other for the next four years so that we are in a, in a good position to qualify. So, you know, it was awesome that they, they came in. We, uh, we learned a lot. Results didn't go away, but I feel like we got so much out of that. Playing against French Super Rugby players, week in, week out, having to step up to that level, play at that speed, definitely helped a lot of our players um, who might not have been in a professional setup, but they realized that this is the level that they need to be at. And we took that through into, into Victoria Cup. We were playing against the African countries that you mentioned that might not also be uh, fully professional, but we brought that professionalism that we learned in Cape Town and brought that into Vic Cup. So it's credit to the, the coaches and credit to the ZRU for their planning and getting the team into shape in order to perform at Victoria Cup. And as you said, leading the country... Um, was huge for me. Taking over the reins was, uh, was absolutely awesome. A huge privilege for me to, uh, to captain the side. I'm immensely proud of what you achieved and lifting some silverware. That's why we play rugby, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. You mentioned the coaching team of Brendan Dawson and, and Tondurai Shivanga, as well as brilliant behind-the-scenes management, and Aaron Johnny, the president of the ZRU. Everyone's pulling together, and if it wasn't for COVID, we would have had a, a fantastic year packed with rugby. Each month, we move closer towards the 2023 Rugby World Cup in France. So tell us about your personal hopes, your ambitions, and 
the next couple of years and plan for the Sables building up to those qualifiers? Yeah, look, I think for, for us, <clears throat> game time is important. Got a, a, young, a young squad with a few, uh, few of us experienced guys in that squad. But game time is important for us. We saw what game time uh, did for us uh, going into Victoria Cup. It would have been awesome to carry that momentum uh, going into this year. As you said, we had a packed pack year of rugby. We had the Victoria Cup and an end-of-year tour to, uh, to the Netherlands, which had been planned. So, you know, we, in terms of game time this year, it was looking good, obviously, until COVID hit. I mean, it's affected everyone in the world. We just need to make sure that we, we keep training, we keep working hard, because we know what the end goal is. We know what we want to achieve. And uh, hoping that we might get a bit of rugby. Um, if not, we're ready to, um, to get going next year. But, um, yeah, as you said, the goal is to qualify for France. And I truly believe that we have the squad and the management capable to do it. And I think what drives me is being part of that 2015 side that had the opportunity to go and just falling short. Um, I'd really love to, uh, to cap off my career by playing in a, in a Rugby World Cup. So that's, uh, that's, that's the goal. Help the team achieve that and, and then play in, in the World Cup in France. Can you imagine, Hilton? Can you imagine? That would be the absolute pinnacle. And potentially uh, another mouth-watering clash against Namibia, who you, you made your debut against. But I think that's what all of us want. That's what you as players deserved, particularly yourself, who's been on a yep. long, difficult journey. You've had some, some low moments, but you've also lifted titles and been an absolute superstar representing your country. Thank you so much for your contribution to a successful Sable side and thank you for letting us dream as well, Hilton. I think that's important. Thank you. No, th thank you so much. And uh, yeah, the support that we get from, uh, from people and all the Zimbabweans all over the world, even here in Zimbabwe, you know, drives us and keeps us going. You know, we, we know what we're playing for. We know that we're representing the country, we're rep representing the people. So yeah, it drives us to, uh, you know, to work hard and to get the results for you guys. Thank you, Hilton. That is the ongoing journey of Hilton Modariki. I just had a, a couple of quick fire questions that I wanted to ask you. First of all, your favorite <laughs> roommate on a Zim rugby tour? Basilele Chimala. Okay. Secondly, the best player you've ever played with and against? Best player I've played with, um, a guy called Brett Heron. Uh, he's currently at the Harlequins. I played with him at Jersey. Probably one of the best tens that I've ever played with. And a very good friend of mine too. And the best player I've played against, oh, we played him in a, in a, in a warm-up game before the season, but uh, Danny Cipriani had the opportunity uh, to play against him. And he is absolute class. He makes rugby look so easy. And yeah, he's definitely a guy that I looked up to growing up and it was awesome to, to then play against him. Jeez, talk about a, an A-list opposition. Um, <laughs> Favourite stadium you've ever played at, Hilton? I can't go past Hong Kong. There's not, nothing beats a packed Hong Kong stadium on day two of a Hong Kong Sevens. You can't, you can't beat that at all. Years flowing, tunes blasting, I can't imagine. Unfortunately, we... We were never involved in, in those activities. Uh, we were on the field, but um, you know, you always see what what uh, what the people are up to, and they they seem to be having a lot of fun in those stands, especially that south stand. 
And uh, on that note, your your best personal post game sesh. Oh, mate, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Hong Kong after we uh, after we lost in that final. Um, I don't know if it was a, a case of drowning or me celebrating being in the dream team. I'm not too sure. The one of the two, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, we uh, we had a very very big one, and uh, a couple of stories came out of that. But you know what the saying goes: what goes on tour stays on tour. Eh? Maybe once this interview's over, you'll tell me. But Hilton, you're you're a busy man. You've got a lot going on. Thank you so much. Um, are you off to do another fitness test? What are your plans? What are you up to today and for the rest of the the next couple of months? I had a boxing session earlier today, uh, which was absolutely brutal. Dead after that, uh, but I've got a gym session later on today. Um, to cap that off, and then just one more session tomorrow, and then uh, then it's the weekend. So. Just a couple more sessions to get through and uh, yeah, ready for the weekend. It's the weekend, my man. Hilton, thank you so much for sharing to me today. I appreciate your time and we'll certainly wait and see how the next couple of years of your career progresses. Thank you so much for being with us here today. No, Rich, thank you so much for, uh, for the opportunity. It's an absolute honor and privilege for me. And yeah, I, I really do appreciate, you know, what you, what you're doing at the moment and, uh, yeah, like I said earlier, I just want to give a shout out to all our supporters, uh, people that have been behind us through the good times and the bad times. We appreciate your support and we, uh, we look forward to uh, bringing you more W's in the near future. Hilton Mururiki, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Chat soon. Cheers, Rich. Thanks a lot, mate. Cheers.